Colossians 4, verses 4 and 5. And when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. In the prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah writes, he says, Unto us child is born, unto us a child is given. It says the government will be upon his shoulders, the increase of his kingdom and of his peace has no end. And Isaiah tells us that this child's name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Turn over to the book of Matthew. And in Matthew's gospel, we see the account of the birth of Jesus, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And in verse 21, it says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means Jehovah saved. Or Joshua, or Yeshua. Jesus is the transliteration, the English transliteration of that word, which means Jehovah saved. You will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So he is God with us. This is what we celebrate this time of year, the coming of Jesus. He has come. He was born in that manger. He grew up, became a man, walked the road carrying a cross and died for us, was buried, and rose again the third day, ascended to the Father, and now sits triumphantly enthroned as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And his coming teaches us, we said this, that his coming teaches us something. So what are we going to learn about his coming? What are we going to learn about how God does things and what God does and when God does them and why God does things? This is what we're talking about today. The when of God is not driven by our timetable, but his. The what of God is not driven by our plans and our purposes, but his. Today we're going to talk about the how of God, and the how of God is not driven by our wants and our ways, but his. Amen? So if you are going, I want you to think about this, if you are going to come and save the world, conquer sin and death, and overthrow world powers and their kings and their kingdoms, and usher in a new age and a new creation, how would you do it? I mean, have you ever heard this phrase, if if you were king for a day, if you were king for a day, you could do anything you wanted, what would you do? If you were going to do 
what Christ came to do, and you realize he came to do all of those things. It doesn't matter whether we can see, hear me, it doesn't matter whether we can see with our eyes the fullness of all of these things. This is what the scripture declares that he has come to do. So we as human beings walking on this earth, we've got to make a decision whether we're going to believe our eyes and what we're able to see with our natural eyes, with natural sight, or whether we're going to walk by faith and believe what God has declared. In the prophet Isaiah, about 750 years before the birth of Jesus, says a child is going to be born. Let's just read that. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 7. It's, it's really worth us reading what God has declared in his word. Let's see. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Then we go over to... Let me see if I can find it. Where am I looking? Someone help me here. The scripture that declares, and of the government, here it is, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. This is who Christ is. He is wonderful. He is Counselor. He is Mighty God. He is Everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time. From what time? Unto us a child is born. From the time of his birth, from that time, until when? Even forever. From that time, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Who will perform this? 
The scripture says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, Jehovah, saved. Jesus came to save us from our sins. He is God with us. He is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. He is, he is, that's who he is. It's not who he will be when we get to heaven. It's not who he will be one day when we get to leave this earth or we get to leave these mortal bodies or we get to leave this place that's corrupted still by sin. You are not, if you are in Christ, subject to this corruption eternally. You may be subject to it now in this body. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that one day this mortality will put on immortality. One day this corruptible will put on incorruption. One day we will be transformed. Do you know why we will be transformed? Because in Christ we've already been transformed. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is, not will be, one day, he is a new creation. I have the hope and the promise of bodily resurrection because I have already been resurrected and raised in Christ. Why? Because he is right now wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, because he is right now God with us, and he has saved us from our sins. He has done that. He came, and he overthrew the powers of this world, every one of them. He overthrew nations when he came. You remember the account in the Gospels when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and they're mocking him, and they're saying, Jesus, I thought you were going to save us. You can't even save yourself. Jesus, I thought you were going to rebuild the temple in three days, and you can't even come down off that cross and save your own life. And what they didn't know, what they didn't understand, what they could not see in their blindness was that through the cross, he was overthrowing the kingdoms of this world. Through the cross, he was overthrowing nations. Through, this, through the cross, through his work there, he conquered all. And he proved it. He proved his victory at the cross in his resurrection. Now, had Jesus gone to the cross and all these things were written about him and he was still dead in a tomb somewhere, well, we've got a problem. And this is exactly what Paul is saying when he writes to the Corinthians. Hey, if there is no resurrection, if Christ hasn't conquered, and we don't have the hope of resurrection because if, if he didn't get resurrected, we're not going to get resurrected, then we are of all men most pitiable. He is God with us. So how did he come and do all of these amazing things? Do You know, a lot of people don't believe he really did that. A lot of people are just like the people that stood at the foot of the cross and mocked him. They can't see that he overthrew kingdoms, that he overthrew nations, that he overthrew kings. 
They can't see it because all they can see today are the newspaper headlines of all the kings and the kingdoms that still seem to be, but they can't see him reigning above that. They can't see him seated above that. Look at what Hebrews chapter 1 says. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, For for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. We don't yet see all things under him, but what is the reality? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, it's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. And he put all things under his feet. And he put all things under his feet. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has put all things under his feet? and has given him to be head over all things to the church. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Can you see the fullness? Do you know the fullness? Are you by faith able to see? Are you by faith able to walk knowing that he has put all things under his feet? Are you able to walk by faith knowing that? Or are we moved? Are you moved by the things that you're able to see? Because the things that we're able to see lie to us. Because they would tell us that he has not been put over all things yet. That there are still things that seem to be reigning above him. There's still death. There's still tragedy. There's still things happening that that seem to scream to us that God is not reigning. Pastor Jeff, as you say he is. Well, I don't say he is. The Bible says he is. The Scripture declares that he is. Don't believe me. Believe what this Word declares. He is God with us. He is the Lord. He is reigning. Because things happen when and the things that do happen are not what we would necessarily conceive of or how those things happen would not be the way we would do it. So when God came, when Jesus came and he overthrew kings and kingdoms, 
when he defeated the powers of this world, and he ushered in a new age and a new creation. He didn't do it the way that we would do it. He did it very differently. And the scripture records that for us, and I think it's important for us to consider these things because we go through life and the culture around us kind of wants us to define things and think of things in the way that that it would. So think about this. He is called Emmanuel, God with us. Let's think about how Jesus came to be with us. How he came to be with us is not how we would expect a savior or a conquering king to come. Now, how many of you have heard on the news that the princess, what is she, the, the, the duchess? She's the duchess of what? The duchess of Cambridge. Now, how did you know that? Huh? Oh, it's on the news. What? She's what? She's pregnant. I mean, the whole world knows that the Duchess of Cambridge is pregnant. You know who her husband is? He's the what? He's the Duke, which means he is the, he's the heir to the throne. You know what's in her womb? There's a little king or queen. There's a future king or queen in her womb is what's in there. They're just the monarchy of one little nation on planet Earth. Yet some 2,000 years ago, the king of glory, the king of kings, and the lord of lords was born. There was no paparazzi or media around to record it or to tell anybody. But there was fanfare, wasn't there? I mean... The king of kings had the fanfare of angels at the announcement of his birth. But the announcement of his birth, when, when do you think, who do you think heard about his birth first? You think they called CNN before they, they, they told anybody else? You think they said, you know what, before we tell anybody else about this future monarch in the womb of the duchess here, we want to go to the most lowly and tell them first. Or do you think they went to the, the most powerful? Oh, yeah. But what did God do? God comes, yes, with the fanfare of angels. Now, that little baby in the womb of Kate Middleton didn't even get the fanfare of angels. But the Son of God did. But not, not to the elite and the power brokers of this world, but to the lowliest of shepherds watching their flocks by night, the Bible says. The angels came to the lowliest. The angels came to the lowly and declared a Savior is born. Now remember, we talked about the win of God and that some 4,000 years prior to the birth of Jesus, a prophecy was uttered in the Garden of Eden 
I'll put enmity, God says this, I'll put enmity between your seed and her seed. And you'll bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And then it took 4,000 years for that to actually happen. And if we get lost in the 4,000 years, then we had the 400 years of silence after the last prophet, Malachi, proclaimed that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send to you Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of the Father to the children, the hearts of the children to the Father. And Jesus said in Matthew, he said, if you can receive it, speaking of John the Baptist, he is Elijah who was to come. In other words, Jesus said, I'm the one. The silence has been broken. The promise has been fulfilled. What my father said in the garden, what the prophet Isaiah said 750 years earlier, I am he, I am Emmanuel, I am God with you. I am the one whom the father has sent to save you from your sins. I just didn't come how you thought I would come. Can you imagine running for president? Let's just, because we understand that here in our country. Can you imagine running for president but never going to the rich and powerful to get their stamp of approval? Matter of fact, not only do we not go to them to get their stamp of approval, everything I say and everything I do spurns them and makes them feel as though all I have for them is contempt. Do you know that's exactly what Jesus did? To the rich and powerful of his day, to those guys that held all the strings and all the cards and said, if you want to do anything in this system, buddy, you got to come through us. Jesus said, oh yeah, you think so? Here's what I think about your system. You are of your father, the devil. Here's what I think of your system. My father's going to send those, and he's going to destroy you, and he's going to give what you built and what you think is yours, he's going to give it to someone else. And you know what the Bible says? At that moment, they wanted to kill him because they had such hatred in their heart toward Jesus. I mean, God just doesn't do things the way we do. His ways are not our ways. So Jesus comes, he comes to the lowliest. He waits 30 years, not because he had to, but because he chose to subject himself for our sake. He waits 30 years before he does anything of significance. We have one account in Scripture recorded when he's 12 years old and he's in the temple talking with the Pharisees and the teachers, and they're amazed that this 12-year-old has such knowledge of the word of God. And when Mary and Joseph come and say, we've been worried to death about you, Jesus. We are halfway home and thought you were with us in our caravan and only to find out we've been looking for days. He said, what did you expect? Don't you know that I am in my father's house doing my father's business? Other than that, we have nothing recorded about Jesus that would seem to indicate He was nothing but just what seemed to be an ordinary little boy. 
As a matter of fact, when they go, when Jesus goes back to his hometown, to his home region, all the people are going, isn't this the carpenter's son? This guy's just the son of a carpenter. Who is he? In other words, we can read between the lines, and here's what we hear them saying. I remember this kid growing up. He, there wasn't anything special about him. He was just, a, just an ordinary kid, you know? I mean, what's the deal? What's the big fanfare with Jesus? He comes, he subjects himself. He, he did nothing that would indicate that he was anything but the common son of an obscure carpenter from Galilee. He had a most common name. Do you know Jesus was one of the most, if not the most common name given to children at that time? You know why? You know what Jesus means, Jehovah saved. You know why? Because every parent who birthed a son, not secretly, their hope and their desire would be that my son would be the Messiah. My son would be the one who would deliver his people from the oppression of this empire and deliver them from their sins. So all these parents name their kids Jesus. And Jesus is born and he's nothing more than a would-be savior. He's like every other Jesus born, just a baby crying. He cried like other babies cried. He Sucked at the breast like other babies sucked at the breast. He, he, did the, he learned to walk like other babies learned to walk. I mean, he, for all practical purposes, was just another baby named Jesus. Some poor couple who hoped against hope that their son would be the Messiah. But we all know that that's just not really going to happen. I mean, after all, it's been over 400 years and God has not even spoke to us. God has not even sent a prophetic word to us. His mother Mary was just a poor girl of no reputation. Just another young virgin. He was conceived in what the world would term scandalous circumstances. The angel comes to Mary and tells Mary what's going to happen. And she becomes pregnant with the Son of God. And her husband finds out that she's pregnant. And he knows that he's not the father. And to his credit, because he loved Mary so much, he's going to put her away quietly. Because he doesn't want her reputation to be scandalized and sullied any more than it's going to be. Because everybody knows when that baby's born, he's not going to be the father. And being the man that he was, of conscience that he was, he, he, he was going to do what he had to do. He's going to put her away quietly. But an angel comes to him and says, Whoa, Joseph, hold on, buddy. This is what's happened to your Mary. And all of this is happening in secret. For all practical purposes, there's no newspaper articles written about it. There's no news camped outside their door. There was some wise men, though, that came. 
We say three, but we really don't know how many there were. We, we say three because there's three gifts that are listed there in the Christmas story, but there could have been very many more than three. And these wise men come. But the reality is this. The birth of Jesus, everything about it was contrary to what you would think if you were going to imagine the birth of a king. There was nothing befitting a king in his birth. He grows up in obscurity. He doesn't promote himself. As a matter of fact, he, he, in, he entreats people. He encourages people to keep his identity secret. Don't tell anybody I healed you. Go do what you've got to do. Go to the priest. He told the leopards, go to the priest, present yourself. Why? Because that's what the law said had to happen. But there were other times when he said, look, don't, don't tell anyone I healed you. He grows up in obscurity. He doesn't promote himself. He tries to keep his identity secret all the way to the end. He's standing before Pilate, and he's answering Pilate's questions, but he's volunteering nothing. He's not going, listen, guys, you've got this all wrong. I am the Savior of the world. I'm the Son of God. You shouldn't be crucifying me. Look, if you hold on just a minute, I'll prove it to you. No. He volunteers nothing. He answers only what he has to. And the silence really is deafening, if you think about it. So here is this Jesus, this King, this Savior. When he begins his ministry, think about this. He communicates in parables. He seems uninterested in trying to explain himself to anyone, even to his disciples. Though his love and his compassion for those lost was unquestioned. But for the self-righteous, listen, for the self-righteous who were not lost, who were not blind, who were not deaf, who were not sick, you hear what I'm saying? The self-righteous didn't believe they were lost. They didn't believe they were blind. They didn't believe they were sick. They didn't believe they had a problem. For those, he had little, if any, patience. As a matter of fact, he had, he had quite a lot of contempt for them. Because he wanted to provoke them to see their true condition. We often are sucked into the culture vacuum and we feel compelled to do things how the world does them. We want to define and seek after success the way the world does. But that's not the way God does things. God does things very different than we do. You guys ever notice that? Read your Bible. I'm telling you, it's fascinating. To read the scripture and see that God does things just really, he just does some weird things in terms of how we understand what, what we would do. It's like, I wouldn't do that at all. But then again, I'm not God. So how God does things is not how the world does things. This is why Isaiah says his ways 
are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. The how of God is never driven by our will and our desire. Listen, we need to abandon our own how. I've got a great idea. Here's what we should do. Now, listen, we don't need a great idea. We need, we need God's idea. <laughs> we don't need a great way. We need God's way. How are we going to find God's way? We better, we better get into what he has given to us and recorded for us so that we can know his way. So that when God begins to work in ways that seem totally and completely out of the ordinary, we read the scripture and we find out, you know what, they're not, it, God it's not so out of the ordinary after all. It's out of the ordinary in terms of the world, but it's really not that out of the ordinary when you look at how God has dealt with his people and the things that he has done through the course of human history. But God's ways, listen, we need to understand this. As the people of God, individually and corporately, when we begin to embrace and seek after the ways of God, and we purpose in our heart to do things according to his ways, we need to understand his ways are not, they're most often not very popular. But that's okay. Because his way is always the best way. So. The how of God is never driven by our will and our desire outside of his own will. Do you know that God has given you desires? Each one of us has desires in our hearts. Now, those desires can be from God, or those desires can be just products of things we create in ourselves. But I do believe this. I, I believe God creates people uniquely. People have different gifts, different talents, and, and oftentimes, People are born, you know, someone's born, they're just more artistic and creative. Well, why? Because that's the way God made them. And so we have, we all have our own desires, and we all have our own things that we hope for and and, and ways that we're bent that are unique because God made us that way. But in the midst of that reality, what needs to happen is that, that we pray and we ask that God would help us to mold and to shape those God-given desires, those God-given things that he's put within us, our uniqueness, that those things would be molded and shaped into his will, into his desire, that we would be like Jesus and our prayer would be, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, this is my desire, but Lord, above my desire, I want your will to be done. I want your desire to be done. Father, if this desire that's in me is from you, then God, marry those together, merge those together, and let your will be done, that we submit our will and our desires to him. It doesn't mean we don't have any. No, he's given those to us, and we should embrace those, but we should be people that are willing to submit all to his ultimate will and his ultimate desire. And so this is why I say the how of God is never driven by our will and our desire outside of his own. Just like a kid who wants to go and do something that a 
parent knows is harmful for them, no matter how much they desire to do it, a good parent's not going to allow that child to do that thing, which the parent knows ultimately is going to be harmful for that child, even though that's a real desire in that baby. I mean, those babies right there, they'll run over to the, they'll just want to stick things and lick things, and it might not be good for them. Might be an electric cord, might be poison. They have a real desire to do that. And they don't understand sometimes when mama or daddy comes and says, no, you can't have that. And they cry. Because there's a real desire in them to put that in their mouth. But mom and daddy knows you put that in your mouth and the result's not going to be good. That's the way we are sometimes. And so our heart and our prayer should always be God. Make my desires your desires. Make your desires my desires. The how of God is glorious. Listen, because concealed within the ordinary, God accomplishes the impossible. Think about the ordinary Jesus was. How ordinary a baby he was. How ordinary a birth he had. How ordinary a life he had, yet within that ordinary was concealed the very impossible of God. In your ordinary life, Christian, listen to me, in your ordinary life is concealed the impossible of God. It's really true. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. That means he is God with you. And in the midst of your ordinary life, God will do impossible things. He already has, and you see this. If you are saved today, if you can name the name of Jesus and know that you are born again and he is Lord of your life, I'm telling you what, God has done the impossible through your life. The how of God is not always how we would do things. Let's go back to our scripture in Galatians. And next week on Christmas, well, it won't be on Christmas, it'll be the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to talk about the why of God. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 4. Here is the good news. Galatians 4.4 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, you hear me? To redeem. This is the why of God. To redeem. To redeem. It's a, it's a beautiful word full of rich meaning. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Amen. So come back next Sunday. We're going to talk about the why of God. This is, we're going to talk about the good news. Listen, the when, the what, the how, 
It's all about the why. When God does things, what God does and how he does it is all wrapped up in the why because God doesn't do anything without a purpose. God doesn't do anything just by happenstance, just by coincidence. No. God's got a purpose in everything. He's got a plan in everything. Jesus came to redeem. And we can just leave it right there and leave it open-ended. To redeem what? I'm telling you what, he's going to redeem everything. He can redeem time. He can redeem circumstances. He can redeem tragedy. He can redeem success. I mean, he is a redeemer. And he has come to redeem. And we needed redemption. We need redemption today. Every day we need him to redeem. Amen? And every day he is a redeemer. He is redeemer. There is hope. There is hope. The world needs hope. We have the hope that the world needs. We've got the message that the world needs to hear. They might not know they need to hear it. They might not believe it when you tell them, but it doesn't matter. Just keep telling them. Keep living it. Keep communicating it through your life, with your words and by your deeds and the way you carry yourself. And communicate hope to the world because the world desperately needs hope. And there is no hope found in any place and anyone but Jesus. He is our hope. Amen. Let's all stand. Is there anyone here right now, and you just say, you know what, I, I would like special prayer. Maybe you've got something going on in your body. Uh, there's just something going on in your life, and you don't have to say, hey, you know, you don't need to give me the details of everything. God knows. Before you ask, God knows. But I think it's also important, we are the body of Christ. We're here to encourage one another. Amen? And so, if we have needs in our lives, that what, we, what we shouldn't do is just keep those needs to ourselves and say, well, you know, I'll just handle this on my own. But that, that's a form of spiritual pride. And so, here's what I want to do. If you're here and you say, you know what, God knows what my need is, I just want you to agree with me. Where you are, just raise your hand. and then. Those gathered around, can we just have some, there's some hands up here. Just some of you who haven't raised your hands, come on up here and just put your hands, stand behind them and put your hands on their shoulder. Come on. And let's pray. God knows every need that exists in this place. Anyone else, you say, I I want someone to agree with me. Anyone else, anyone else. Father, we just thank you right now. Lord, that you're our source of hope. Lord, your ways are not our ways, and we're thankful for that. God, I pray that you would, these people especially that raised their hands and said, Lord, I need a touch from you. Lord, I need hope. I need an answer. Uh, I've got, Lord, something that I'm lifting up to the throne of grace. Father, we just come in agreement right now. Lord, if it's physical healing, we just thank you that you are our healer. 
Lord, if it's a financial or a material need, Father God, I just pray that you would just reveal yourself to them as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. Father, whatever it is, Lord, an emotional need, Lord, anything that's going on in their life, Lord, you know. And Lord, you are our source of hope. You are the answer. Father, I just pray that they be encouraged in the name of Jesus. They be strengthened in the name of Jesus. Lord, they be healed and made whole in the name of Jesus. Father, help us to be a people that would look to you, that would give the what, the when, the how, and the why to you. And God, that we would look to you and trust in you. Lord, you know what you are doing. And Father, you don't always work. Mostly, you don't work the way we would work. Your ways are higher than our ways, but God, we trust you. And Lord, where we're having a challenge and we're having difficulty trusting you, Lord, let us be like the man who cried out, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief, God. It's okay, Lord, if we pray that prayer and utter that cry. Lord, we all struggle with unbelief in our lives. And Father, help us in our unbelief. We believe God. We truly believe God. Help us in our unbelief. Lord, thank you for being the source of grace that saves us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and pouring out that love into our hearts. And Lord, your love does not disappoint. Thank you for being our hope, God. Thank you, Father. Bless this people, Lord. Bless us, Lord, and help us to be lights that shine and salt that salts the earth around us. God, help us to go out and proclaim your good news through our lives and through our words, God. We can't proclaim the gospel apart from our words, but we have to proclaim it with more than just our words. And so, Father, we ask that you be glorified in your church. We thank you, we praise you, and we give you honor and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Come on, give the Lord a good hand. Hallelujah. Praise God. Come on back next Sunday. Bring family and friends. We're just going to have a time of worship. And uh, just have a great time celebrating the birth of our Savior. And no class until there's, we're done with uh, classes on Sunday night. We'll start up a new class after the first of the year, so no more Truth Project. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. We'll see you Wednesday night or we'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you. Love you.